And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, we're at Luke 10. By the way, catch up. Luke 10, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Like, wait, I know this story. This sounds familiar. I don't even need to turn. You do need to turn there. Luke 10, make sure you're getting there. Catch up. Um, And Jesus said to him, what is written in the law in order to receive eternal life? How do you read it, sir? So who's speaking? The lawyer is speaking. He's challenging Jesus. And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But then the lawyer, he desired to justify himself. And he said to Jesus, Luke chapter 10, we're in verse 20, or excuse me, we're in verse 30. And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So he goes right into this story. Like Jesus holds back. This parable until this moment. But then he's like, I can't, I can't hold it any longer. i got to tell you a story. That's how Jesus teaches. That's how he communicates. He's trying to answer the question, who is my neighbor? Jesus says, a man is going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he, this area is known as a dangerous road. This area is known for a pretty shady place to walk through. Especially alone. On the way from Jerusalem to Jer- Jericho. And he fell among robbers who stripped him, who beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road. And when he saw this man beaten, naked, left with nothing on the side of the road, half dead, he passed by him on the other side. Those priests and pastors are jerks, right? Amen? No? So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and he saw him, he knew the law, he knew church structure, he knew everything about what he was supposed to do, and he passed by on the other side as well. But, Jesus says, a Samaritan, ooh, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and he saw him. And this Samaritan says he had compassion. He went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, and he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. And the next day he took out the two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. He's implying that he's returning. Which of these three, lawyer, do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell amongst the robbers? The key word in this story we miss. It's hiding under all the layers of, of uh, the Levite, of the Samaritan, of even the priest. It's this word that even hiding under the lawyer, it's hiding under all that. And this word is really the context, I think, of this story, not just the story then, but how it applies to your life and my life. And that word is neighbor. What is your neighbor? 
He's trying to answer the question for this lawyer what the neighbor is. The, na- the lawyer is trying to justify to Jesus, the king of kings, lord of lords, God with skin, God in a skin bag, what a neighbor is. He's trying to devi- define for Jesus what that is. Who is the neighbor, he asked. And the lawyer is still standing. Everyone's looking at him. Everyone's, all the attention is on him. And his response is this. The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. Now, the good news is we only have about 45 minutes to unpack this. But we could be here for hours unpacking the different layers of the story. I love this story because Jesus uses this in miraculous, challenging, hard, confusing, and sometimes difficult ways in our life. This is a simple story of how do we help our neighbor? Are you guys with me? You live? Are you, are you in for this, this, this message? Are you in for this sermon? Because I think, I, I'm, I'm guessing that this is going to challenge you as it challenged me. The more layers I got into this story, I realized that this is not talking to someone else. This is not talking to the person in the pew next to you or someone that's not here today that should have been at church and they're not, um, that you need to really scold them for not being here. Um, This is for you. This is for you. And this is for me. And it's challenging. Because I think in this day and age, we choose who we get to love. Not just love in our heart, but we get to choose. (laughs) Or we do choose who we love outwardly. And Jesus challenges this lawyer. He challenges the room, as we want to challenge ourselves this morning, of what that neighbor who that neighbor really is, and what that love actually looks like. Now, Jesus, he, he, he uses not just with the priest and the Levite and the Samaritan, he, he uses a special word here that is in the context of this whole chapter. So if you were to read this whole chapter, um, if you've been at Conduit for more than uh, a year and a half, you know we spent about a year and a half um, in the book of Luke. Um, it was a long time. It was the longest season ever. Like, are we ever going to get through this book? And it's not even the longest book of the Bible. So we're going to be really uh, selective on what Bible, um, what series is on the uh, b- books of the Bible we choose. Um, just because of the <laughs> length of it. But when we were at this spot in Luke chapter 10, we have to bring in the context of what he is talking about here. Jesus uses the word for the priest, the Levite, and for the Samaritan. He says that, that when they saw this man on the side of the road. In the context of seeing, he look, if you want to look right before that, Jesus in chapter 10, he it talks about how Jesus sends out the 72. And then he talks about how uh, the woe to the unrepentant cities. And then the return of the 72. And then Jesus rejoices in his father's will. A lot of this big, big talk about the ways of God, the kingdom of God. And ultimately, Jesus is challenging us to see. He's challenging us to see. So before we get overwhelmed with doing, we first must see. I think the challenge in our day and age is not so much figuring out how to help someone. I think the challenge in our day is how to see one another. I think there's a challenge even how we see those that we are married to or in our own home or that we work with every day. We get in these routines. We get in these spots where we just get in our own 
process of how to do things, how to think things. We've formed our way of thinking or formed our way of believing, and we sometimes miss that the very person next to us is a person, is a soul. It's someone that God made and God loves and has a plan for and wants to redeem and wants to save them, not just from something, but to something. And there's this powerful, powerful story that's pulled out from your life that I think is ultimately being pulled out of this story here. Today, we're going to learn ultimately that Jesus uses the Good Samaritan (laughs) to show us that the ultimate thing, the ultimate thing is faithfulness. Jesus uses the Good Samaritan to show us that faithfulness is the ultimate conduit of love. Let me say it again. Jesus uses the Good Samaritan to show us that faithfulness is the ultimate conduit of love. So it's easy to love somebody in a moment. It's easy to say a kind word. It's easy to even pull out your wallet and to give to a cause for a moment. It's easy to, like, you're driving in a car and you're feeling really gracious and you're feeling really loving and you're feeling really filled with the love of Jesus to let someone else go first at the stop sign rather than I'm really in a hurry and I'm at the stop sign and like I was a millisecond maybe maybe it was a tie but maybe in my head I'm really justifying that I was there a millisecond before you so I'm gonna go ahead and go but maybe today is the day where you pause and you let them go right that is the good Samaritan guys as you sit in your 75 degrees perfectly listen to your favorite music as you it doesn't really matter uh, that you're late to somewhere that you're headed but ultimately today the challenge is not for some little small thing like that in our day-to-day life the ultimate challenge today is to see those people both in our home in our church and in our city and how God has called us to love I love 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 the story I know I do this every week Jesus when he tells a story it's captivating And it's so complex. But I think this story is probably the least complex story compared to the other parables that Jesus tells. So as I've already kind of walked through, you're you're sitting in um, a place this morning. You're in a crowd. And sometimes, like if I were to call out one of you and ask you to stand, there's this instant anxiety that hits you, right? Even if you're a public speaker, even if you're on a uh, public stage or in front of uh, cameras or whatever, all the time, there's just something that happens. Sometimes it's a good thing. Sometimes it's like a rush. But sometimes, no matter what, no matter what, in anybody in any, anybody's situation, when you're called out, when you're singled out, there's this, like, it's my time. Here we go. I mean, maybe you're like, oh, my goodness, I want to, like, Anybody just scared to death to be uh, called out in a crowd? You're not raising your hands because you're scared to death. <laughs> a few of you are, and you're scared that I'm going to call you up here. I'm not. I'm not. I'll be easy on, these, on you this morning. Um, but ultimately, this person being called out, this person calls himself out. And he decides to challenge the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, with the great question of how do I inherit, how do I get How do I receive eternal life? And Jesus doesn't immediately walk him through the Romans road or the sinner's prayer. Or Jesus doesn't pull out his little red and white and green beaded bracelet to explain how eternal life works. 
Jesus begins to describe eternal life with an external love because of an internal love. I love this because Jesus, when he describes eternal life, if you actually read the New Testament, if you actually read not just the parables of Jesus, but you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, even just those four Gospels, you see that Jesus describes eternal life or how to get to heaven or the kingdom of heaven. He describes how to get there in many different ways. No, no, no. Don't, before you like get up and leave and write me off and write me emails and get me fired, um, you need to understand that the central theme is the same. The way he describes it, he chooses how to describe it by who's asking. In fact, he already knows their heart and he knows the question by which they're asking or the way that he's challenging them. He knows the heart of the person and he knows what to challenge. He knows what for them is heaven. He knows what for them is heaven. And I love how he takes this lawyer. Again, so you guys know this story, the Good Samaritan. You know the guy is, is on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's, he's halfway there. He gets robbed, stripped of his clothes, beaten, and left half dead on the side of the road. A couple guys come by, and they go right past him. We know this story. And then eventually the Good Samaritan comes and saves the day, and he helps the guy. He gets into a hospital. He even pays for it. He says, I'm going to come back and all that. This, this is the general story. Even if you're not a, a, a churchgoer or you're not a Christian, you're familiar with the story. You're familiar with the phrase Good Samaritan. But I believe that this story, that was like a story within a story. What is the grand story of this moment? It's this lawyer's question. How do I inherit eternal life? This is a question all of us are asking. How do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus puts the, the, the question right back on this lawyer. He says, well, what does the law say? How do you interpret it, lawyer? Any lawyers in the room? Just kidding. Don't, don't raise your hand. Uh, bucket is in the back. I'm just kidding. Just don't <laughs> he challenges this lawyer. The lawyer knows his stuff, knows the law. How do you, Jesus says, how do you read the law? And what he responds with is actually spot on, but Jesus knows better. He's, the way that the lawyer responds is this. He responds with the Shama, Shema, excuse me. And it's out of Deuteronomy 6. It's something that you're very familiar with, maybe didn't know that it was called that. The Jewish, it's the bedrock of Jewish culture. It's every part of their life. It's their mantra. It's their everything. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, Mind and strength. There's a second part to that. To love your neighbor as you love yourself. This is such a simple, fun, ABC, kindergarten-like like concept for us, right? We're going to love God with everything we got. I'm going to love you with all my heart, with all my soul, all my mind, all my strength. I got that. Like, God, you've been so good to me. You've saved me. You've rescued me. You've, you've, you've blessed me. You've been with me. You've never left me. I'm with you, God. I'm never leaving you. You have my heart. You got it all. And then love your neighbor as you love yourself. And we could dive into this idea of what this looks like, whether it's for us in 2018 or the Shema for the Jewish culture, specifically here in first century Jewish culture, what the Shema meant even back, even in Deuteronomy when in that culture, what that meant and how that was the bedrock of everything that they did, the mantra by which they lived. 
we could go into the depths of what it means to really love yourself and letting love for others flow out of yourself. But that's not where I want to go today. I know that there are struggles there and we could park there for hours. What I want to skip past is this, this, this reality, this assumption, if you will, that we love others, that we should love others the way that we love ourselves. See, we're not, we're not ever uh, hesitant to put ourselves first, if we're honest. We're not hesitant to put ourselves first. We're not hesitant to, to abuse our body in a way that we would like to abuse someone else. We're, we're always in a spot where it's easy for us to completely understand what it means to be selfish. Being selfless is, is something we have to learn. Being selfless is something that our parents tried to teach us. It's something, being selfless is something that our teachers tried to teach us. Being selfless is something that our coaches tried to teach us. And we're still, if you're with me, we're still learning. But there's this assumption that being, uh, that loving others like you love yourself is this idea that this is how you're actually supposed to love God is by loving others. It's this constant conduit. This flows from God to us to them, but then it, it reciprocates, it recycles because of the way I love them. It gives me a picture every day of how I was supposed to be faithful and loving to my God again. And then down, God's love and faithfulness to me is how I'm supposed to love. It's this constant cycle. That's why marriage is one of the best pictures of God's love for us. That's why weddings are so beautiful. And there's just this magical, supernatural covenant that takes place between a man and a woman. Where you have this idea of, I'm committing to you. Uh, you have everything. My covenant is with you. And every day that I love you, it'll be a reminder. It'll be an overflow of my love that I have from God to you. So I think that this story isn't so much about the guy that's an extreme need that's beat up on the side of the road I think that's easy I, in fact I don't I think there are reasons why in the story the Levite and the priest um, skipped over the guy maybe they were being maybe they were scared to get robbed themselves maybe this is all a setup maybe they were they were gonna get punked or whatever it is maybe they were late I've heard that one before like oh I gotta go bro I know you're about half dead but I'm late to my first appointment like I, these are lame excuses but we could skip over the fact that these people skip by him and we can zoom in. Why did the Samaritan stop? Why did the Samaritan stop? I think he ultimately had a love for this person that he didn't know. Um, I think he ultimately had a love and understanding that this is what you're supposed to do. I'm looking out and I'm seeing a lot of faces of people that get talked about at Conduit a lot. In good ways. Faces that, um, man, somebody is going through a hard time. Well, this person's organizing meals to help them. They just had a baby. Oh, man. If, if there's ever an incentive to have children, it would be that kind of, it would be you get meals for a while. All right? Um, I'm thinking and seeing people that they know people that they work with that want to organize um, a clothing drive or different things to help people. I'm seeing these faces right before me right now. There's something about the Samaritan. There's something about you. There's something about us that sometimes comes it comes natural to want to help someone. There's a couple things I want to point out specifically quickly before I get into them. But really my main point 
of what the Good Samaritan is about. I think ultimately the Good Samaritan, he was faithful to do what God asked. Uh, followers of Jesus here today, let me get your full attention. It's as simple as this. Jesus says that if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Past the commandments. Past all that. What has God asked you to do? What has God asked you to be faithful to? Do that. Like that's where we, that's where I, that's where you, that's where we need to like root our feet again. Where, what has he called us to? Conduit. What has he called us to do? To live, to love, to serve, to live like Jesus, to love like Jesus, to serve like Jesus. To see wholeness and redemption in our homes, our churches, and our cities. What has he called us to do as a church? I think more than anything, we need to be faithful to what he's asked us to do. The Good Samaritan, he was something that the Levite and the priest was not. This is the most attractive thing in God's eyes when he looks down at this earth, I think, especially as it was then and as it is now in 2018. The Good Samaritan was available. Available. We, I, we, we fill our schedules to the brim. Maybe even with good things. I remember being a kid and seeing this. Um, anybody grow up in the church watch um, McGee and Me? McGee and Me, yes. Really? We really do have a new... Or a, like a, yeah, wow. Really? McGee and me? Hold on a second. I got to Raise your hand if you've seen McGee and me. Y'all need to go home right now. Like, leave early. Go on YouTube. Find McGee and me. It'll teach you everything you need to know about the Bible. It was incredible. But anyways, I was watching McGee and me when I was uh, a kid. And, uh, there's this story, I don't remember the, the name of the actual episode of McGee and Me, but they, they showed the cartoon of how the Good Samaritan played out. And I remember, like, they were, showed the guy on the side of the road, and the cartoon was walking along, and I believe it was the priest, and first thing he did is, like, he did one of those cartoons, he sees the person, and here's the road, and he did one of those, like, and his, like, his legs stretched real big, and then he went around the other side, and went, and then I think the next guy that came, the Levite, I think it was one of those, uh, like he implied that he always saw this person in need and he looked at his watch like, oh, I'm late, I gotta go. And he went right past him. This, this idea of being available is something that is so attractive to God. Faithfulness requires us to be available. You see, if we keep moving on to new things and new adventures and new things that we think God's calling us to or new ideas without his permission to be faithful to the one thing that we've stood on or been called to or he's asked us to do right from the get-go, then we're not being faithful. Who has he asked you to be faithful to? What has he asked you to be faithful to? And then do it and find new ways and find that, that like good feeling, that, that spiritual and literal high from being faithful Faithful to who God's called you to be faithful to. 
specifically marriages. Man, light the spark. Do something that's going to remind you that faithfulness is the sexy thing. Faithfulness is where it's at. Faithfulness should be the thing that gives us that high, that being ultimately faithful to someone or something that God's asked us to be faithful to for decades should be the, that should be the badges on our arm. That should be the peace that fills our heart. That should be the joy that leads us on. That should be the strength that, that reminds us ultimately of God's faithfulness to us. Faithfulness. Man. It's so much fun to try new things. Oh, it's so much fun to be in a new church, in a new relationship, or a new thing, or a new car, or a new job. It's easy to move on. And we, as millennials especially, like there is, man, we need to look around at some of these mature, older folk that got some of it figured out. I don't say all of it figured out. Some of it figured out. And we need to sit down with them like, help! Teach me what it's like to be faithful, to work hard, not just at your job, but work hard in your marriage, work hard on your soul, getting in a good place and healing, work hard as a dad. How do I, how do I be faithful? It's ultimately about being available. Now, I love this story too because the Good Samaritan, look at this, he did what he could. What did the Good Samaritan not do? Like, like, I'm imagining, I'm putting myself in the place of the Good Samaritan. I'm walking along, and I'm seeing this guy half dead, um, naked, beaten, robbed, like he's in rough shape. And <laughs> I love this story because the Good Samaritan, it says that he takes out wine and he pours it on his wounds and oil. Like, yeah, that is like, like the only thing missing in this story is duct tape, Right? Like, I mean, I know we can dive into the reality of how wine would help his wounds um, or other things um, uh, or how oil would help. We can dive into that, but ultimately he did what he could. And he, he like, picked up this guy. Imagine this, like, deadlifted this guy. And he put him on his animal. I don't know, is it a donkey, a horse? It just says animal, is it a unicorn? I'm not sure, but ultimately he put this, he did what he could. And then, here's the key part. He brought him to a place that could help him. Listen, I know we got, and I'm looking at some faces around, and y'all love to help people. But listen, we can't have this Messiah complex that we got to do it all for people. God's empowered you to be a link in that chain. That's it. A part of the process. That's it. You helped them get from here to maybe here. Maybe you couldn't bring them back to health. And honestly, maybe they weren't even interested. They woke up like, why'd you put me on that unicorn, bro? Like, this should just left me where I was at. Maybe they're upset at you for even helping in the first place. But what has God called you to do? He did what he could. I love this next part. He put his money where his mouth is. There is a reality to the fact that our money is tied to our heart. Where your treasure is, Jesus says, your heart will be also. There's a reality to this reality to this story that he knew that he could only do so much, but he also knew that in owning this guy's recovery, that he needed to help fund this recovery. 
I have a feeling that at the end in this story that Jesus told, that maybe not is an actual story. It's simply a parable. It's simply something to draw out the truth here. It's ultimately pointing out that there's money involved in this. I think when you say you want to help someone, and yet you feel called to actually help them and be faithful to that, there are times when money is involved. There's times when funding is involved. There's times when literally we have to open not just our hearts, not just our ears, not ultimately just our eyes, but sometimes we need to open our wallets to help one another, to put our money where our mouth is. I love that the Good Samaritan did that. This is the last thing, and I think this is where I'm going to part for the rest of the day. I love this. The Good Samaritan didn't just do one thing. He followed through. He followed through. Again, Jesus showed us through the Good Samaritan that faithfulness is the ultimate conduit of love. Faithfulness is the ultimate conduit of love. Why is a mother or a father's love so deep? Because of the decades and the decades and all it took and the faithfulness it took to raise you. It wasn't just a one-time act. It was a consistent and constant and faithful love that overflowed to every part of their life. As Jesus shows us that the Good Samaritan, that, that the Good Samaritan, through the Good Samaritan, that faithfulness is the ultimate conduit of love, I think it would be helpful for us to realize and now be a little introspective of where this applies to our own life. Don't forget that this is a story within a story. The lawyer is asking, how do I inherit eternal life? How do I inherit eternal life? Y'all are like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. You're like, thank you. Jeez. (laughs) Talk about taking the speck out of your own eye. (laughs) Woo! All right, so the lawyer... We got any good climbers in the room? Just kidding. I was just curious if you would volunteer, but no, we're not climbing. Um, The lawyer asks the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He responds with a great answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, your mind, and your strength. But then like Jesus knew that there's something more to this story. He knew that the lawyer was asking this question because he ultimately, like, Jesus could think it like, Read his mail. It's like right there. So Jesus tells this incredible story. This guy was beat up, robbed, naked, nursed back to health, totally held by this great, good Samaritan. A Samaritan in those days, you want to talk about racial division? You want to talk about prejudice? We know nothing about that compared to how they viewed a Samaritan. There's more we could talk about in regards to that. But this, I think this reveals it. At the end of the story, Jesus asks, which of the three guys? Is it the priest? Is it the Levite? Or is it the Samaritan? Which one of these guys were the hero? Which one of these guys did good to the neighbor? (laughs) And he, he essentially says, all right, option number three. Um, and who was that again, bud? It, it, it was the good, Jesus says, it was the good, and he's like, 
so guy. It's the good guy. It's the, the, the third guy. The third guy did it. And eventually, you get this idea that Jesus is on in the story. The lawyer couldn't even say the word Samaritan. So when Jesus is telling the story, he uses his own words from Deuteronomy. The Shema. God's word, proving God's word over and over and over again. Love the Lord your God, your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. What language, what was the original language that the Old Testament was written in? The Old Testament was written in a language, and the New Testament was written in an original language. What was, the, what was the Old Testament language? Hebrew. Okay? In the New Testament language? Greek. So Hebrew and Greek. Hebrew, the way that neighbor is defined in Hebrew, neighbor is anyone that you are associated with. So even back in Deuteronomy, it's this idea of Jesus saving the whole Old Testament as how God's chosen people, the Israelites, we're being saved. We're being brought into a promised land. And so he challenged them to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor, those that you're associated with, as yourself. So in Hebrew, the word neighbor is translated to those that you are associated with. Those that are just like you. Those that are from the same lineage and that like talk the same way, or from the same neighborhood, and so on and so forth. But the Greek... The New Testament, when it says love your neighbor as yourself, uh, I love this. Or neighbor there is translated to who is ever, or whoever is near. Whoever is near. See, there's this shift that's happening in the world. Right there, first century, Jew, first century Jewish culture. Jesus is about to send these 11 B-team junior varsity guys out to flip the world upside down with this amazing message of the gospel that all can be forgiven, all can be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, by the sacrifice that he's about to pay. This message is just about to go out. And this, you talk about a caravan of immigrants. You talk about a caravan of a new way of doing things. You talk about how the whole world is shifted, not just spiritually, but actually and literally. This is happening through this idea that you're not just to love your neighbor that's like you. You're supposed to love your neighbor that's near you. You're wondering, what is the neighbor? Ultimately, the lawyer is sitting there, and he stands up. He's like, Jesus, who's my neighbor? Well, Jesus is saying, like, it used to be the people that are just, just like you. The people that you're associated with, the people on your team, people in your political party. Oh, man. We're going to move on from that. Uh, people that are on, uh, in your workplace. People that you're associated with. People you hang out with on Friday or Saturday night. People you sit in a pew with at church on Sunday morning. These, this is the Old Testament. This is the old way of defining who your neighbor is. But the new way of defining who your neighbor is, is in the Greek for you to love near. I think we get so caught up with trying to figure out who we're supposed to love when ultimately this new way of following and loving Jesus is for those that are near. Who are you supposed to love? Those everywhere you go. If you go far, you love those. You're, you love those. You love everybody everywhere you go. So there's this, I think this huge 
like separation, this journey that goes from concept to reality. Think about it. So the lawyer ultimately bring up the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is heart. This is like a concept. Mind, a concept. It's a soul, it's this ultimate driving force. It's a concept. That's like outwardly. But ultimately, he's calling us to an action. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love those near you as yourself. This is not a concept. How do, you, how do you love your neighbor as a concept? How do you how do you like, oh, I love everybody. What a good thought I have. Let me find some quotes on that. Let me write about that. Ultimately, loving your neighbor as yourself is an action. So how do you get from a concept to reality? How do you get from an idea to it actually happening? And Jesus this is how you do it. You do it like the good Samaritan. You cross everything to get to them. You do anything to get to them, no matter where you're from, no matter what you've done, no matter what they've done or what's been done to them. You get there and you love them. And you follow through. And, and you make yourself available. And as you notice, in between concept and reality, between this, like, love the Lord your God with your heart and then loving your neighbor as yourself in action, there's a long distance between. I think that um, there are times, and maybe you're here this morning and you're, like, maybe you're totally over there. Maybe you, there's places in your life that you're totally loving people outwardly and that's awesome. You're loving your, your wife or your husband or your children or your brother or your neighbor, whoever it is in your own life, whoever's near to you, loving them. And there's times where we're all there and there's times that we all have to come back and revisit this idea of what does it really mean to love God? Okay, yeah, yeah loving God means carrying it out in action in my life. For me, I, I guess I could just speak personally that I think I beat myself up about the two dreams. And so therefore, somehow I get caught in the middle. And I don't know, I guess why I'm bringing this up today is I feel like when you read a story like The Good Samaritan, you, you get stuck in, and sometimes you get discouraged because you're like, all right, now I'm going to go, I'm leaving today, go drive around and see if I can find some dudes that are beat up naked on the side of the road that got robbed. Oh, I don't see any God, I'm going to lunch! Like, that's I think sometimes we get so, like, inspired by a great story. When ultimately that story was not about the dude on the side of the road. The story was about the lawyer that was seeking, how do I get saved? How, how do I ultimately receive love and show love? And Jesus is challenging back to the lawyer. He's saying, you are saved by letting the love of God flow through you in action to others. You say you're saved, you're going to keep my commandments. Yes, it's important. And maybe you're here today, and you're like, you've never made that choice to follow Jesus. You've never said, you know, I, 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 I'm not even holding this side of the rope. I'm not even, I, I don't even know what it's like to follow Jesus. Well, today's your day. He can save you right now. 
And a lot of, for, the, for most of us, it began with a simple prayer. It began with this like shotgun start of this race that we're on, this journey that we're on of following Jesus. And maybe for you today, like as we close, we'd love to talk to you. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to invite you to this amazing relationship with Jesus Christ that he died for your sins. He paid the price for your sins for, the, for you to just admit that and confess that to him. And you recognize that, yes, God, I've, I've sinned, I've fallen short. And I recognize that you've saved me. I recognize that you rose from the dead to give me new life. And today, I want to start that relationship. Today may be your day. And if that's I'm talking to you this morning, maybe you're new, you've been here a long time, know that that right there is what this is all about. And we want that for you. We're excited for you. There's no better thing than to hear you begin that relationship with God. But maybe... You've already begun that relationship with God and you're, you're like me sometimes and you just get lost with the two extremes. I don't know what it looks like necessarily today to show love outwardly. In fact, I don't, I'm not feeling it. This is sometimes we just get back here. And, or sometimes, if you're like me, it's easier to like play the part or help someone. And sometimes it's, it's not as easy to connect with God in this way, to renew your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And maybe you're here today, and you're like, God, I would love to say that you have all of my heart, but if I'm honest, I can't give you that, that part. And maybe for you today, it's a, it's a moment of, maybe it's a moment of surrender right here. To God to say, I'm committing my heart, my strength, my soul, my mind, the way I've been thinking, the way I've been acting, it's so far from really what I want. And let's just love you, God. And, and maybe you need to be in this place. But for the rest of us, maybe stuck in the middle somewhere, it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to get lost in where I'm supposed to actually be. And the reason why I brought this rope out is that I felt like it would be important for us to visually see that sometimes, and all the time, it, a lot of time, like, it, it doesn't matter where you're at. This is not a ladder. This is not, oh, you're over there, Jesus loves you more. You're over here, Jesus loves you less, or vice versa. This is a constant flow, a constant conduit to be where you need to be with the Lord and with letting that overflow to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Sometimes we need to be reminded to just simply hold the line where we're at. So if I could say that, if I could say anything today for you to grasp, for you to remember to walk away, I want you just to see this. No matter where you're at today, if you're not holding the line, Begin here. God loves you so much. He died for you. He's got a plan for you. He saved you. And then he wants, you, he wants to use you in life to impact others. But no matter where you're at, I want you to see this, that you are to hold the line. You are to hold the line no matter what. There is a place in Thailand called Tham Luang. 
you may have heard of it, uh, because this past June, June and July, came the center of the world's stage for news and for one of the greatest rescue operations that um, we have in modern history. Um, last June 23rd, there was a group of 11 um, junior high and high school boys that were on a soccer team together. And they had just finished practice. And uh, near where they lived, there was this uh, huge string of um, lots of places to hike. And, and particularly in this uh, place that they were at, there was this cave that they ended up going into. And this cave was one and a half miles long. And after their practice, they decided to celebrate one of the players um, who was celebrating a birthday. And so they went into this cave. The 11 teenage boys and their coach. Um, and they went into this cave and they went way back in this cave and quickly um, did not realize that it began to rain. And it rained so hard to the point where floodwaters filled this cave. Huge cave. Mile and a half. They ended up going further back and further back into the cave where they ended up going over a mile into this cave. That was on June 23rd. That night, they realized that those kids were missing. They realized that, um, specifically, that the parents realized that their kids hadn't come home, and they, followed, they kind of followed the trail from the soccer field down to the mouth of the cave, and they saw all the kids, the soccer players' bikes. So they knew that they were there. Um, a couple days passed. Um, they obviously, they sent out a search and rescue party for them, and flood wa floodwaters continued to, to rise, cutting off oxygen from the inside of the cave, cutting off all communication. There was no way that they could communicate from where they were to where everyone else was. These are 11 boys and their coach, stuck, scared, cold. They were there for a long time. In fact, they were there until most of them were rescued on July 8th. The, the way that they survived way, way, way back in there was licking the, the walls that had condensation coming out. But they were cold, scared. And it was obviously, as you can imagine, their batteries and their flashlights had run out. Their snacks had run out. And they had no way of getting out. Idea that this rescue operation was forming that was getting the attention of not just uh, Thailand but specifically the British SEALs, the United States Navy SEALs, they were forming a plan to rescue these kids. And days upon days upon planning upon planning, upon, like technology and these ideas and these these constantly rising flood wires is getting worse and worse, and they're finding ways to pump out. You may have heard this on the news, and this is where a lot of our engineers, um, specifically Elon, Elon Musk, um, if you've heard of him, the, the, the rocket guy, anyways, he came up with this great idea to try to pump the water out and, and or like take in some type of uh, human submarine, because again, they, were, they would have to be underwater for a portion of a mile at different points to rescue these kids. Water is... Is, it's pitch dark in there, the water is murky, they have no idea, and there's several different ways that you could go, but eventually they found 
these kids. And when the rescuer showed up, there's a video of him literally shining a light up on these boys sitting up in this cave. And you can just see that they're scared and they're excited and they're ready to go home. But that journey went on for days and days and days. And in fact, they all, they all made it out alive. With the exception of one uh, Navy SEAL who um, did not make it. In fact, he, was, he quit his job at um, airport security to go help with this operation. And he was one of the guys that um, uh, his oxygen tank ran low and he didn't make it. But all those boys were rescued. And I watched this video, um, probably spent way too much time looking at uh, researching this story because it's fascinating to me. But as techno technolo techno technologically advanced as we are, ultimately the thing that they had from one end to the other, from where the boys were to where home was, where all their parents and everybody was watching and all the cameras and all the world was watching was a rope. And all you could hear throughout all the rescues, all you could hear as they're going through there, even the divers going in, the Navy SEALs going in, there was this constant phrase being yelled, hold the line. Hold the line. It's this phrase that we hear all the time that we say like when someone needs to be faithful, someone needs to follow through, that we need to hold the line. Some of the best movies say this. Gladiator says this. Hold the line. Break heart, ladies and gentlemen. Like one of the best parts of the movie where they take the sticks with the horses are coming. He's like, hold the line. And Anyways, if you're not seeing it, I won't, I won't, um, I won't ruin you for a lifetime um, for that scene. But he's yelling, hold the line, even the best football locker room story any given Sunday, Al Pacino, he's like, hold the line. This idea that no matter what, I don't care where you're at on the rope, hold the line. And they got out because they held the line. My encouragement to you today, as we close, no matter where you're at, no matter where you're at, you may be off, discouraged, lost, you know what's right, and you know what's right, and you know each end of the spectrum. You need to be reminded to hold the line. I feel like there's some moms in here today that are discouraged, maybe lost. You need to hold the line. You're somewhere in between here, and it's okay. Rescue is on both sides. God's called you to be faithful, to love your neighbor as yourself, but he's also called you to love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Dads, kids, Anyone here today that needs to be reminded, hold, hold the line. Be encouraged with this because it's tethered to, it's tied to where home is. Where you'll be reminded of God's love for you. You'll be reminded of your love and relationship with him as he helps you get to where you need to go and what you're called to be faithful to as a Samaritan in your life. That's how we inherit eternal life. That is a major part of our relationship with Jesus is just holding the line, being faithful to what he has called us to. Would you stand with me?